Hello, and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. I'm Sam Lum, Director of Private Wealth and Capital Markets at CFA Institute. I'm joined here today in Macau, China, by Dr. Maureen O'Hara, Robert W. Perschel Professor of Finance of the Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University. Professor O'Hara is an expert in market microstructure and trading. Our topic of discussion today is naturally focused on issues relating to the market and trading and insights from her recent research and advisory work in these areas. Maureen, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to join you. What are the latest developments in high-frequency markets and what's your view on algorithmic trading and high-frequency trading that are getting rather common these days? Well, it, it's a brave new world in trading. It is remarkable how high frequency has changed the trading of equities and trading of, of futures in particular. Um, when we look at markets in the U.S., for example, you find on the NASDAQ 60-70% of all trading now is uh, high frequency. You've got a high frequency player on one side or the other. Um, in futures markets, the numbers are around 50% or more. In Europe, which was really a bit behind the U.S. in terms of um, allowing the high-frequency players in. They're there now, and um, you've seen it in the dramatic rise in places like Chiax, which I think is now the third largest trading venue in Europe, and that really reflected the fact that they built a trading platform directly to go after the high-frequency. So high-frequency is here, and the algorithmic trading which is just sort of the fancy name for having computers chop your orders up into pieces and then route those pieces either throughout the day or throughout different venues. That, that's probably, you know, 80, 90 percent of all trading now is coming through algorithms. So it's, it's not the future, it's the present. It's here in large parts of the world. Could you tell us more about flow toxicity in the high-frequency world? So one of the interesting issues in high-frequency markets is that what matters to a high-frequency trader is not what's going to happen over the day or the week or the month. It's what's going to happen over the next few minutes or next hour. And we've always had a situation in markets where market makers are always facing an adverse selection problem. That is, some people may know more about the future evolution of prices than the market maker does. And the market maker knows they're going to lose to those informed traders, and they kind of make it up on the uninformed traders. And so generally spreads in markets, that is the difference between the buying price and the selling price or the bid and the ask, the size of the spread was often viewed as a measure of the adverse selection risk. The new name for that adverse selection risk is toxicity. So if you're a high-frequency market maker, what you're doing is you are putting in offers to buy and offers to sell in securities, but not necessarily the same one. So the HF market makers generally play across contracts and across securities, and they'll move liquidity from one market to another depending on their buying and selling. But the problem they face is that they need to be aware of the nature of the order flow in markets. If, if, since they're going to be on the other side of trades, if there's going to be a lot of buying activity on one side, they're going to be uh, on the other side selling to it all. And their horizon's very, very short. And most HF market makers have very little capital. 
So they don't want to hold large amounts of inventory. So if a, if a large you know, institution like TI-CREF is going to come in with a big cell program and they're going to have to buy it all, that's extremely toxic for them. Mm-hmm. Even though generally a large institution like TI-CREF is usually just rebalancing. So toxicity really has to do with order imbalance over short periods of time. And it creates difficulties for market makers because if order flows get too imbalanced, then they can't keep adding or subtracting inventory. And when they can't do that, then they stop making markets and they step back. And that creates liquidity problems. Markets are getting increasingly fragmented these days. Is this actually helping or harming market quality? Well, I think part of the issue these days is there's a lot of concern that the high-frequency traders are essentially able to, to play on a different playing field. Right? They, they buy direct data feeds from the exchanges rather than, for example, in the U.S., relying just on the consolidated tape. And they locate, or rather co-locate, their own computer servers on the same racks as the exchange. So their orders can get to the exchange faster. So part of the issue that both regulators in Europe and the U.S. are worrying about is what are the impacts on the market when you have this co-location, the ability to trade before other people? And uh, it's a very interesting issue. It's been less of an issue here in Asia because the HF players have really not completely arrived, but it's coming, right? The Singapore Stock Exchange is now allowing co-location for HF traders. Singapore has actually redesigned their trading platform to be friendlier to the HF traders. Australia has introduced a new trading platform for the uh, HF traders, and you now have you know, Chi-X Australia, and you have Chi-East. So the future is here. Uh, HF is coming to, to Asia. Maureen, what are the issues with differential access to price information in financial markets? Do you find this more or less of a problem in Asia? It's a great question, and I, I think there's no easy answer. I, I will tell you that in the U.S., I did a study with uh, a co-author, Mao Ye, and um, we found that actually market quality in the U.S. had improved because part of what happens when you fragment is you have competition. So the NYSE, for example, is now doing something like less than 20% of the volume in their own listed stocks because there's more than 60 places to trade in the U.S. So it's extraordinarily competitive. And as a result, we're seeing very tight spreads and actually the measures of market quality that we look at seem to be better. But, and here's a big but, academics judge market quality by looking at long time series of data and we try and look at the behavior. What we can't really do well is talk about how the market changes affect episodic problems, right? So on average, fragmentation seems to have improved market quality, but it also seems to have made the markets more susceptible to liquidity problems. And that's the flash crash that we saw in the U.S., So it's a two-edged sword. I don't know that we can quite answer that question. Well, speaking of the flash crash, you've been an advisor to the CFTC and the SEC on the flash crash. Could you share your insights on how to prevent a second flash crash? 
Do you see flash crash potentially happening in some of the exchanges in Asia? So one of the interesting things about the flash crash is that the event on May 6, 2010 in the U.S. was noteworthy because it started in our absolutely largest futures contract, the S&P E-mini, 500 future. It's an enormous contract, and it fell 8% in a matter of minutes. And, and this, this was a pure liquidity event because if you look at the flash crash, liquidity just falls off a cliff, and then the CME begin, basically shuts down trading and says our book is imbalanced, and liquidity flows back in, and we bounce right back up. So the flash crash was scary because it moved from futures to equities, and what it really showed was that it, this was a liquidity event, right? There was no fundamental overvaluation or undervaluation. It was a problem that in the futures... The order flow had been imbalanced all day. The cancellations in the book had been taking place, but because the high-frequency guys kept coming in at the bid and putting in liquidity, the lack of liquidity in the book was more or less hidden. When the HF guys realized that you know this constant selling pressure was keeping up, they'd already reached their limits of how much inventory they wanted to hold, and they stepped back. When they stepped back, there wasn't any other liquidity, and the market plummeted. And then when that happened in futures, it spread to the equities, and a similar thing happened. The HF players there also stepped back. Now we don't have any liquidity there. Everyone cancels orders, which you can do instantaneously now in these markets, and you have events. So there's good news and bad news. The good news is we've gone 14 months without an event that large in the markets in the U.S., but we've had several events that have mimicked those images. The most recent one was in early June in the uh, petroleum futures, the natural gas future, rather, had what's been called a mini flash crash. So I think we're going to see episodic illiquidity in markets now, and there's no reason to think that that won't happen in Asia. So what we're doing in the U.S., and I think what is going to have to happen across all markets, is that you don't have time to react after an event. You can't just say, well, when market prices have fallen by X, we'll close the market, because that can happen in, in, a, in five seconds now. Things are so fast. Regulation has to be forward-looking. Right? You have to look at the book and realize that if you, if you execute these orders... It's going to push prices down here, which will force these orders to execute, and the market will it, you have to keep going. So you have to not execute the first orders. It has to be forward-looking. And we have to think about new types of information that can signal the market when books are imbalanced. Um, because what we saw with the flash crash is when the CME instituted their what's called stop-logic procedure, it did induce the other side of orders to come in and fill the book, and then the flash crash was over. So I think the flash crash was helpful to the U.S. in that there was no major harm that day in the sense of the markets returned and they kept going. But it did give us a great wake-up call to the fact that liquidity provision is just very different now. And we have to structure markets differently and to recognize that, and we have to regulate them differently. Perhaps we can wrap up by a few words about how you see trading and the exchanges evolving in Asia. 
It's a great question. Um, Asia right now is um, a little bit out of sync with what we've seen in both the U.S. and Europe. Europe has become very much like the U.S. Trading has fragmented. Um, we now have multiple venues on where to trade. The traditional exchanges are struggling to retain order flow against the newcomers. Uh, we have high-frequency trading. We have a lot of algorithmic trading. A lot of trading is taking place away from exchanges in crossing networks. Um, and I think that is inevitable here. And we're already beginning to see it in Asia, right? You're beginning to see the growth of crossing in Japan. You're beginning to see Australia positioning themselves now for a, a real you know, high-frequency structure down there. I think the, um, the fragmentation of trading has been slow to come here, in part because of the national exchange structures and the regulatory structures. But ultimately, I think that will happen. And the, the you know, increased use of algorithmic trading, crossing networks, will actually be a good thing here in Asia. Spreads and transactions costs in Asia are far, far higher than they are in Europe and the U.S. And one of the things that's going to come with these new changes is much cheaper trading costs here in Asia, which generally makes everyone better off. Maureen, thanks for sharing your thoughts on market microstructure and trading. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for joining us in this episode of the CFA Institute Take 15 series. Copyright 2011 CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.